and includes breaded potato wedges known as Western fries. Okay, breaded potato wedges. I feel like we've overnamed some things potentially. I get the whole like regular versus steak versus waffle fry, but to get waffle fries, I mean, that's the whole reason to go Chick-fil-A over some of the other places. Sure, their chicken's good or whatever, but the waffle fry is by far superior. They need to have a different shape for the condiment containers though, because you can't get the waffle fry into the container without tearing or bending the fry first. Don't even get me started on onion rings. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. And that was Michael Vinsky again. Thanks, Mike, for all your help and uh, willingness to participate in the podcast. We certainly appreciate the intro. To learn more about him, you can uh, surf over to michaelvinsky.com. Uh, here we are at the uh, the Double Nickel, the 55th episode. Uh, I am Reed Smith. On the other side of the microphone is Chris Boyer. You can find us at touchpoint.health where you'll find something a little bit new this week. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. Actually, we'll get to that later. But how's it going, man? Pretty good. I like the analogy of, or I like the metaphor or the statement, double nickel. Is that a Southern colloquialism? No, I'll tell you why it's top of mind for me uh, specifically. Is mm-hmm. um, It is Michael Jordan's 55th birthday. Uh, I'm a big mm. basketball fan. It's his 55th birthday. And so I keep seeing on Facebook, because obviously I look at a lot of sports-related content and things like mm-hmm. that, especially from mm-hmm. the NBA. And so they've been playing a lot of replays of the game in which he scored 55 points in his return to basketball in 1995 in Madison Square Garden. And so anyway, I've been seeing these little snippets from that. And so it's just been you know top of mind because they refer to it as the double nickel game. I love it. I love it. Well, 55 is such a great number. It's the 10th Fibonacci number in the Fibonacci sequence. It's also a triangular number, Reed. I didn't know if you knew that. But, you know, I'm tapping into my old mathematical background, right? Uh, well, yeah, I was going to say that, but it was just with the NBA, <laughs> with the All-Star game a couple nights ago. This was <laughs> what was uh, top of mind. So it's also the like the 38th and 39th digit of pi, right? But somebody can go look that up. Uh, actually, no one, no one would have looked that up. I could have just run with that. But anyway, we're fortunate to be at episode 55 and certainly appreciate everybody's support. If you haven't already, please go out and subscribe on iTunes while you're there. Uh, leave us a rating and review. And speaking of support, uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about Loyal Health, one of our sponsors. We should talk about Loyal Health because let's face it, Reed, other solutions that are out there like chat solutions and stuff like that for hospitals that are trying to implement these, they're a little too slow or labor intensive. And to be honest, just not really even smart enough to be implemented on hospital websites. But Loyal Health, some of our good friends there, are doing some cool stuff over there. And it's called Guide. That's their newest solution. 
And Guide is, for those that don't know or haven't had a chance to look, it is a powerful AI-driven platform that uses different algorithms. It's a chatbot. You've heard us talk about chatbots, but it engages the patient that visits your, your hospital website in a dynamic conversation, helps them along their journey, helps them choose or maybe find a physician, location closest to them, maybe even applying for a job. You don't have to have a call center. You can use it as an AI platform only, or you can integrate it with live agents or a call center. I think it also helps them decide the right numbers to choose and how to tie their shoes. No, it's very intelligent system. Maybe we'll get it to that point, but right now their, their intelligent healthcare specific platform can be customized to fit your hospital specific needs. Guide looks, feels, and sounds like your organization because, quite frankly, it's designed for your organization. If you would, do us a favor after you've subscribed to the podcast. Surf over to uh, loyalhealth.com slash guide. That's loyalhealth.com slash guide, and you can schedule a demo today. And be sure to tell them we sent you. That's right. Speaking of advertising... We are going to be talking about Facebook advertising. This is kind of top of mind to people. Well, at least Facebook has been top of mind to a lot of people, depending on uh, you know which avenue you're you're looking at things. And I know we we mentioned Facebook in last week's episode when we were talking about the trifecta, but today we're going to be talking about specifically advertising. Recently, Facebook has made a lot of changes to their algorithms, which has caused a lot of people to pontificate on what that means for Facebook and the future of Facebook advertising. So is this where you post on your Facebook wall that you do not give them permission to uh, like store your photos or something? Exactly. And they have no permission of anything you post from here on out. Yeah. 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 If you agree, copy and paste this to your wall. No, I will say, uh, so Facebook advertising just as a whole, if we can stroll down memory lane here for just a second, I think is probably the first platform that I advertised on, you know, that was considered social media. I and mean, probably the same for most folks, right? So mm-hmm. you, you did some online banner ads and things like that. And then in search probably was in there somewhere. And then Mm -hmm. Facebook. And you're you're talking about the algorithm piece of it. You know, it used to be back in the good old days. This is like one of those things you can tell your kids. It's like, you know, uh, you know, everybody else is like, you know, I had to um, send a telegraph or something to somebody or, you know, stagecoach across America kind of a thing. You know, we're going to be like, I remember when organic reach was worth something. (laughs) Absolutely. But that's gone away. I mean, back then you could put ads up and they would just go right into your newsfeed and everybody else would be able to see them. And it would just be like, hey, here's your update of your aunt's new cat. Here is your new niece that was born. And here is an advertisement for XYZ Hospital. Yeah, It's not like that anymore, Reed. No, it's funny because remember it was like, how many fans do you have? Oh, I have a thousand. Oh, super. A thousand people are going to see this. Way back when, when followers and fans actually mattered, too, as a metric for Facebook, right? Boy. And not that they don't. I mean, believe me, it's still better to have more than less, I guess, at least to some degree. Uh, But with the algorithm changes, I think the short of it is, is Facebook has said the free ride's over and they're forcing brands into a paid model. They've gone even further than that. I mean, the free ride is over was a message from a few years ago. Now, with all of the other changes that are going on, Zuckerberg is calling it a place to be conducive for, quote unquote, meaningful interactions. He's going to drive meaningful interactions. And what he means by that is looking at the way you interact by reactions, comments, shares, and ranking posts to determine which to display and prioritize on your feed. And that's great, right? Yeah. 
So, I mean, he's just going to take into account the fact that I've like hidden a whole bunch of people <laughs> and, and not show those. Yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds very logical. Uh, and I think it's very ambitious to think that they are going to uh, prioritize meaningful interactions, I guess. But what does that mean, Reed? What does meaningful interactions mean? I don't know. I think it means that he wants us to, you know, he's going to increase the number of posts you see from your family and friends. Maybe increase those ever important social interactions that he talks about. Remember, he wants to make Facebook a happy place Mm -hmm. and engagement on posts that are more conversational in nature, whatever that means. But don't we just have swinging? It's just a pendulum, right? Like nobody's right down the middle. It's doom and gloom or the people posting cat pictures. I mean, it's like, there's not a lot in between. Um, Yes. Okay. So you see more from your friends and family. The family part I kind of get because theoretically, some people obviously designate that within Facebook. And then there's some other ways, I guess, through tagging and pictures and uh, some other things, some algorithms that make it kind of sort through the family part. Mm -hmm. The friends part, though, I don't know how you determine that. Because theoretically, you've connected with them, they're friends, right? So I guess they just take into account who you engage with the most. So maybe it should be more like you'll see more from family and your best friends. (laughs) Kind of a deal, right? Possibly. I mean, I just friended someone yesterday on Facebook and suddenly three of his posts appeared on the top of my newsfeed. So I think that's part of it too. It's like the recent activity that you do with that friend. If you like something, I don't think we clearly know what the meaningful interactions is defined as, but certainly there's going to be preference for that. And what that means for advertising is it's going to be in a negative impact. Right. Because who wants to hear from an advertiser? So, I mean, the flip side of that is, or I guess the output of that is, is it's going to become more expensive to advertise or to, act, to actually reach somebody. I do believe that's the indication. Now, again, we're just at the early stages of this, but there's been some people that have been indicating, you know, that it's going to decrease the number of ads that are seen. It's going to eliminate spam or clickbait posts, which is important. Yeah, so that's that's not all bad. It's just like in my personal life. I, I'd rather have fewer things, but what I have is nicer. If I see fewer ads, but the ones that I see are more relevant... That's not all bad. And the whole like, you'll never believe what happened. You know, all the all the like clickbait stuff goes away. I, I'm, I'm for that. That's fine. But then you're going to get the content you need quicker. So that's going to really decrease the time you spend on Facebook itself, at least the news feed. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, theoretically, it's like you're, you'd be in and out quicker. It's more micro moments. Like I said, also kind of goes in the path of uh, the reach is going to shrink as well because you're going to be reaching fewer people. Now, theoretically, that's still not all bad because, again, just on the flip side of, you know, me getting things that I want to get, that means you, the advertiser, are going to reach people that want to be reached. Right. That's possibly not terrible, but we, we've spent an awful lot of time touting vanity metrics. Right. Impressions and all of that yeah. stuff, so now right? all of a sudden when your reach gets lopped in half or more, everybody's going to go, what happened? Sidebar here. If you don't have a good uh, way to close the loop, if you don't have a good way to determine what that ROI is or what the, you know, how, how are we determining success? If that's based off of vanity metrics, then 
now's the time to figure out so you don't get those questions of, well, what happened? So you can say, well, actually, we've got twice as many people in the seminar that came through Facebook than we historically have. We're actually being able to more effectively reach people, uh, even though we're reaching fewer people. No, that's a that's a really good point. There's some other things, you know, it, it's going to probably impact the referral traffic. It's going to impact the amount of times we spend on video. But, you know, there's so many other things that are going on at Facebook that have been really seriously impacting advertising. And, and I think that it's good for us to maybe talk a little bit about it. One of the things, Reed, that jumped out at me is that it used to be in the good old days that, and this wasn't too long ago, that when you start to target Facebook posts, you had a very nuanced approach to targeting people around high level of clinical terms like, you know, mm-hmm. mitral valve disease. Right. And, you know, you could get really deep into the specific things. Facebook has lessened their specificity around these types of targets now. And now everything is kind of lumped together. Cardiac is just a great example. Everything is now lumped into this general thing called heart. Yeah. Well, and even, even too, um, you know, Facebook has taken it upon themselves to determine what the consumer feels. It makes it very hard to advertise certain service lines because, for example, they don't allow anything relative to body image. Right. So you can't use an image that has a scale in it or the, like the tape measure around the waist thing, you know, or any of that kind of stuff. So for bariatric surgery, that makes it hard to come up with imagery that catches people's attention that they understand what this is even about. Because <laughs> you're having to go with some like weird generic lifestyle thing of some guy hiking by a lake. They're making decisions on behalf of the consumer that, you know what? We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or whatever. You know, I'm not saying it's quite that straightforward, which I think is a, a, a slippery slope to run down. So now we're getting less specificity around the targeting that you can do around their interests. And then you're getting, to your point, less specificity around the types of images and text that you could put into your right. ads. What's happening from an advertising perspective is the audiences are becoming less targeted and the ads are becoming less specific. Now, the flip side of that is privacy. How much do we need to know about people as, as advertisers? There's that fine line, too, that Facebook walks. You know, they've been sued by a couple of people around privacy and how they're starting to invade PHI. And, you know, there's some uh, hospitals and health systems that are really cognizant of the fact that Facebook is starting to collect a lot of information about individuals. Clearly, the pendulum's kind of swinging away from being specific and being more safe. In result, the advertisement on Facebook is becoming less effective, ultimately. Yeah, because they, they won't allow, I say they won't allow, a lot, of, a lot of advertisers do not allow when you're doing retargeting to drive back to that subpage on the website. So you're having to dump people back on your homepage with retargeting strategies because of some of these things that we've talked about. So... You know, it used to be pretty straightforward. If if text on the on the image was over twenty percent, like you just couldn't do it. And now we've got this weird, like you know, well, they may see it less. <laughs> it's like, just tell me what's happening. Like, tell me what you need me to do, versus just this weird, like you can make the text bigger. We'll just show it to less people. What, what am I? What am I supposed to be doing here? So. I don't think they know what they're what you're supposed to be doing. I think they're experimenting as much as we are. There's another thing that they're doing too, Reed, is they're they're going around telling people that they're running out of ad space. They're actually saying that Facebook itself, mobile Facebook, is becoming, you know, penetrated with ads. 
And so what they're trying to do is they're making, you know, you think about different places where you can place ads. So now they're driving you to Messenger or to advertise on the desktop or move it over to Instagram, even through like the app purchases that they do. They're they're deliberately trying to force you into different places. Now, I think that that might be true, that we're a lot of people are out there advertising on Facebook and maybe the ad space is running out. As of December 2016, they had 1.15 billion mobile daily users. I mean, how many ads are we running? <laughs> but but here's the thing, though. They've caused this themselves. So they've backed themselves yeah. into having to create a revenue model. And so we talked about the like the free rides over for businesses. I mean, they, they have people that have bought stock in this company. You know, gone are the days of like, well, what should, you know, these altruistic, like, well, what should we do now? It's a business. You need to make money. How are you going to do that? Well, ad modules. We talk about the doom and gloom of what Facebook's future is. And, um, you know, and they are, by the way, losing more people under the age of 25, right? We know that. So what is left with Facebook advertising? I mean, where are we going to go with Facebook advertising? Uh, I think there's some clear indications of ways that we can, organizations could start to leverage parts of Facebook advertising. And targeting is an important piece of Facebook since the onset. There are still three different ways that you can actually look at targeting your audiences. I guess the most common is a saved audience. These are audiences that you can define by choosing demographic stuff, location, age, gender. Then you can get into some things like income level, interest, you know, types of devices they use. And this is probably where most people start. Yeah, they start there, probably saved audiences. It's, you know, kind of like you do on, on Google ads as well, right? It's very common if you think about things like uh, like healthcare systems where they're opening new uh, access points, urgent care, freestanding EDs, things like that. So you're in this new little suburb in town and you want to do uh, fill in the blank suburb plus 10 miles. It's everybody that has a Facebook account in that 10 mile radius. We're not saying that it's men or women. We're not saying a certain age group uh, Most in most cases, you know, for things like that. And then the second audience is what they call a lookalike audience. Those are where you take your profile of your common fans and followers because they know all that information about people that are following and you know friending and interacting with your content and they create lookalike audience groups sort of like a clone of your current targeting audience or a clone of your current fan base and then what you could do there is you use that as a way to try to expand your marketing efforts you know we've seen uh, lookalike audiences uh, even developed off of you know people that have successfully engaged with you before. Maybe they filled out something, they've signed up for something, you know, wh- whatever it may be. So you know, folks, you know that that have engaged with this type of a campaign before. We'd like to reach more of those folks. Third one is a custom audience. This is data based off of the Facebook pixel uh, that you put on your website or landing page. And it gives you that data of who is engaging there. It could also be from email lists. You know, if you have uh, kind of an E strategy and you use something like a MailChimp or something like that, right, where you've sent out these, these emails for a time. These are folks that are engaging with you on a pretty regular basis. Custom audiences can then turn into lookalike audiences. 
Um, you know, you could take that and, you know, kind of replicate, like find me more of these folks kind of a deal. But in the initial stages, what you're doing is you're finding people that have engaged with you elsewhere in short, and then, you know, finding those folks on Facebook. So I think we need to spend a little time on the custom audience, because I think that's the important piece of this. And this is the way, the way through. It really is a great way to start to understand how to more effectively target, because they're, they're doing all this other stuff to take away your ability to generically target target audiences, but custom audiences have a unique advantage. So you talked about uploading emails. Now that's one way you could start to create a custom audience. Another is around using Canvas. What Canvas is, it's almost like you're creating a a tab or even a a Facebook microsite, so to speak, Mm -hmm. which is designed for a place where you could put ads and other engaging content. What we see is that a lot of Facebook advertisers and brands are creating these Canvas sites and driving people to engage with that content there, almost like a landing page through Facebook. There's lots of reasons why, but I think one of the most important things around that is the minute you go on that page and you start to engage with content, you become automatically a custom audience. And if you're using Facebook pixels, they start tracking you. The important thing about Facebook custom audiences, Reed, is that Facebook can track custom audiences for 365 days for a whole year. It's a lot of information. If you get people to engage with your content and become part of your custom audience and you're using Facebook Pixel, you could start to track them engaging with your content on Facebook, on your website, on other platforms that introduce the Facebook Pixel. You're starting to get insight into a huge amount of data about these audiences. Pretty amazing. So, I mean, just imagine if that's what they're allowing advertisers access to, what what Facebook actually has access to. Again, I think most people are defaulting to the pin on a map, zip code, some ages, maybe some interest levels, which was great when you could get pretty granular about things that people liked. Now, you still can. You know, October rolls around and you can pick people that like Komen and the color pink and, you know, those types of things. But this, I think, allows you a level of granularity that, quite honestly, you probably can't really get anywhere else. And get this, by using Facebook, they're opting in to you being able to track them for that long. And that may sound a little creepy, but quite frankly, that's powerful. If you create custom audiences through a website or through like some kind of lead ad custom audience or program, you could probably get 90 days, maybe even 180 days with this Canvas And even there's another piece here too, video custom audiences. So you can track these people for a year. And that's a crazy way to start to get some interest. You can start to do some sophisticated things with them where you can nurture them along. Read, even if they partially view one of your videos, partially, they can now become a custom audience that you could track now for a year. So what do you do with that information? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can start to do with that information, but one of them, I think the most important thing is, is you could start to nurture them by, by feeding them more content that might be of interest to them. Let's say you put out a video that's related to just a generic healthcare condition. You're just talking mm-hmm. about, you know, whatever it is. 
And they may watch that video or they may jump over to your canvas and, and get engaged with your content there. And, and you get them now into a custom group, you could start filtering additional content to them, maybe nurture them, send some more information about services. And then maybe after the third or fourth hit, you could talk to them about your products, maybe even promote one of your providers, you know, and then eventually warm them down the path of that funnel. And I think too, uh, not to be overlooked, I know we're talking about Facebook advertising, but when you start, when you create these custom groups, you know an awful lot about them. So carry that into other platforms, right? So Google Display Network, for example, you can use that to understand, well, where, where do I put this advertising? What types of sites? What are people interested in that I could you know, target from a keyword perspective? Right. That makes a lot of sense. And now what you're starting to do is you're starting to map the overall digital journey of your online fans and followers. The challenge with that, though, is, is that it's all being tracked ultimately by Facebook. I mean, it is. So is now Facebook where you start? You know, you used to start with Google. Do you start with Facebook to create this, this component, the custom audience piece? Then do you use that data to then carry into these other channels? Or do you use uh, Google Ads to drive them to uh, a website that has a Facebook pixel on it, and then that Facebook pixel, for along the way, you, tr- you send them over to a Facebook video, or suddenly now you can custom group them. But is, is Facebook really going to become sort of the business intelligence of your online advertising? I think so. Where else do people, number one, volunteer as much information about themselves? But before they do that they opt in to being tracked for a year. That's if they know about it, right? Right. I don't think a lot of people know that. I guess people listening in now know that, uh, if you haven't been advertising before. But there are organizations, Reed, we have to talk about this Facebook Pixel thing because there's so much controversy with the Pixel. And a lot of hospitals don't let you use it. All right, so let's talk about that a little bit. So for those that don't know, what's a Facebook Pixel? It's a piece of code you know, it, it's a so a pixel is obviously all the little blocks that make up the image you're looking at on your screen. And so you put this Facebook pixel on your website. Therefore, when someone visits the website, if they're also logged into Facebook at the same time, it's able to capture that information. Facebook has has allowed people to put these pixels on their websites all over the world. And now, if you're logged into Facebook as you're navigating the web, you don't have to be on Facebook. It's capturing that information about you. And we thought Google was scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is just like over the top. And, and you know, this is, a, this is really, to me, I'm not sure how far it, it gets into your privacy. And it tracks all that. And assumptively, Facebook is keeping that information somewhere. Oh, for sure. I don't know what they're trying to do with it. But it gets dangerous in my mind a little bit when you get this much information together in one place. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. 
Now we're too far down this track. I'm too far gone. I'm too public online that it's going to be hard for me to ever, you know, backpedal out of where I am personally. And that's okay. That's just what I do for a living. That's just, you know, what the price I paid, I guess. But so from a privacy standpoint, if you find me on Facebook, you can probably see most everything. Although Facebook, I primarily use personally. I don't, I don't post a lot of business-related stuff on Facebook. But you start marrying that up with you know some of these other sites, and you can find out quite a bit about folks. Just recently with Facebook in the news, they indicated that they didn't have access to all this information about the particular advertisers. Well, you know, I, I think that fell kind of flat because for those of us in the know, we know that Facebook is keeping track of all of that information, probably on a much greater scale, or at least on an equal scale to what Google is doing. I know Google reads your emails, but come on, Facebook is all over reading about everything and they're trying to get that data everywhere. Mm. So there are some hospitals that the lawyers outwardly say we cannot use Facebook Pixel in our advertising. But if your organization can allow Facebook Pixels, you should definitely do it because it's going to give you some great information about those custom audiences. And why, why would people not be allowed to use it? For the, the mere reason that they're afraid that... You know, there's going to be some backlash. There's going to be either the the news outlets are going to come back and say, you know, suddenly this is a bad thing, or possibly they're even stirring PHI about individuals that they're not revealing to anybody. Yeah, there's the danger, in my mind at least, is you're accidentally creating a HIPAA violation. That that's a that's a dicey area because in what in one respect you could argue that people have opted in for this. You didn't create the HIPAA violation. But still, I mean, if you're complicit with using Facebook Pixel, by, and by default, there is some sort of you know, onus on your organization that you are partaking in this, you know? And so, mm-hmm. you, know, who's, you know, who's to say? What does that mean for the state of Facebook advertising for the future for hospitals? You, you got many different ways that you can advertise. You got boosted promoted posts, which are still good, still pretty effective. One thing, just a little super pro tip, if you're going to be doing uh, promoting some content that's on your own website, be sure to claim your domain through Facebook, because then when you post like a link to one of your uh, articles on your website, then you can kind of jump in there. You can modify like the, the promo text. And, and kind of tweak that around because then you could start to play with call to actions and, and the text length and all those other things that you were talking right, about earlier. Right. But that's only if you, if they Facebook has authenticated you against your own domain. I do think a good use for Facebook, for example, is to promote job postings. That's been very successful. And I noticed here recently I did one and it got kicked back, a paid piece. Actually, it was a boosted post. And I couldn't figure out why. Turns out there is a new piece in Facebook uh, where you have to actually go in and certify that you you, you will not discriminate. I got this note back. It's like if you'd like this ad to run, uh, certify that you'll comply with our policy. And there's a link, you know, prohibiting discrimination and anti-discrimination laws. You know, so anyway, you go back into Ad Manager. You, you click a couple of buttons and certify that yes, I do not discriminate. And then away you go. So again, they're building in a few little hurdles in there that you just need to understand that are there now. They're not that big of a deal. And once you do it, it's you're, you're good to go. Yeah, I think that's all good. And I think that maybe we can kind of close out this conversation by talking about the power of video still in Facebook ads. We mentioned before using video views as a way to start to create custom groups in your Facebook. Video is still by far one of the things that is really driving a lot of engagement. It's driving a lot of organic engagement and it drives also advertising engagement 
Yeah, it does. And I think what's something that's interesting to me too, I was looking at several of our client Facebook pages and realizing that two thirds, if not three quarters of the video views were with the sound off, closed captioning and how important that is as it relates to you know your video production. There's also been a little bit of talk about formatting of videos. And I like to think that Jason Pratt listens to this podcast, but maybe he doesn't. That's our good old friend. Facebook has been saying recently that square videos are performing better than landscape videos. Uh-oh. I know where this is going. There's been a lot of talk around the use of square videos on Facebook just by far increases video views, it increases conversions, and increases all of these other things. Let's take a step back. Conversions with an asterisk, because conversions to Facebook doesn't mean they actually do something, right? It means they actually watch the video and maybe they click on something else. It doesn't mean that they actually convert when they come to your site. But still, (laughs) they're saying square videos are like the thing of the future, and then everybody should be investing in square videos. What's your initial thought to that, Reed? Oh, man, I'm getting so tired of the different formats of what everything needs to be in. And, oh, that's fine for Facebook, but it's too long for Instagram. And now, now we've got aspect ratio issues. I mean, I get it. Uh, honestly, though, I kind of like turning my phone sideways and getting a little bit larger you know, video view, especially in HD, especially with the newer smartphones. Man, that's just a pain. You know, that's one more thing now because typically you're creating a video and you're posting it in YouTube. Maybe you're also uploading it natively to Facebook. And so now you're going to have to take into account actual different uh, aspect ratios for the different platforms, which is kind of a pain. So I'm going to end it with saying this, Reed. I think not only are square videos like becoming more effective, I think it's going to go a completely different way. I think verti- vertical videos are going to be the thing of the future. And I'm starting to see it, and I, and I only see it anecdotally, but I'm going to give a tip for all of you at home who are following along. Go out to Instagram and follow Ready Whip. I'm not promoting them, but R-E-D-D-I-W-I-P, Ready Whip. And you should see some of the things that they're doing with vertical video. Oh. You would start to wonder, why are they doing that? And I'm, I'm wondering if two, three years from now, Jason Pratt's going to have to eat his words and say, <laughs> vertical video is the thing of the well, future. Pratt uh, did not listen prior. Uh, he will now. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to InfluenceHealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. 
There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! Alright, in the 55th installment, actually it's not, I think we've done this song and dance before, but anyway, this is episode 55, and uh, we're going to argue at touch point, touch counterpoint about your advertising home base, if you will. I don't know what else to call it. Where do you start the advertising journey in the digital space? Uh, And we'll narrow that down between the two major players, which are Google and Facebook. Uh, I am going to take the side of you should not start with Facebook first. It's an inferior advertising platform. There's so many inherent challenges with it. I think you should stick with the tried and true Google, which owns 89.5% of all search. Might as well round that up to 100% of all people searching online. Google is your start destination for advertising, period. Okay, so you've got over a billion people actively actively on Facebook every day and you can't really deny the ads like they just they're there Google I think especially in a search standpoint you're skipping past those first couple of uh, ads anyway because you know they're ads at this point YouTube videos it's like you're just hovering over the like skip the video button as soon as it populates sure Google has a lot of traffic but I just I don't think that's the the home base I think based on Facebook pixel based on everything that they know and the tools they give you to advertise, you know, Facebook's the logical destination there. What was that number again? How many active users are on, on uh, Facebook? I don't know. It was, it was over a billion, but that was as of like 2016. So surely it's like 70 billion or something now. <laughs> Would it surprise you that 2.2 billion users are actively using Google every month? That's what the current stats are saying. More and more people are using Google than Facebook any day of the week. Of course, in Facebook, they're identified, you know who they are, and on on Google, they may not be. 1.4 billion daily active users. 2.13 billion monthly active users. So it's the same. It's a wash as far as the users go. (laughs) (laughs) And and two, I think Facebook has that sweet spot of like being able to, you know, nurture and build a relationship with folks versus just serve up returned ads. Well, you could target with Google. You could do, you could nurture people as well. You could set up your, your analytics and create event tracking and so that you can actually start to nurture them down the path. And by the way, you know, I don't see Facebook releasing, releasing a voice first device, but hey, look at that. Google Home is all over the place. And Google has their own phones. Facebook doesn't have their own phones. I mean, Google is creating a large enterprise in which to capture more people. Now, I understand that Facebook's an active player here. There are good noble number two but they're still just that they're number two google is one and let's just admit it google is the best place to start your advertising because you're gonna get more people into the funnel i spend more time on being (laughs) (laughs) here's the deal it's a little bit apples and oranges right with search you're actually targeting people that are like actively looking whereas on facebook and the other social platforms you, it's more passive. You're, you're putting stuff in front of people that are not looking. You know, you're trying to introduce a concept to them because of what they claim they like versus for what somebody's actively looking for in that instance. So 
it's a little apples and oranges to that extent. You can make a pretty good case for both. I, I do think Facebook makes me a little bit nervous, like most of the social platforms that like, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't, however, feel like, you know, a search engine is going to go away, especially when they have a clear dominance in that space. It's just such a useful tool for the internet versus a community that's being pushed and pulled by investors, by features that surface on other networks, uh, etc. I agree with you on the fact that there's different types of intents of people using search engines versus Facebook. That's for sure. But one of the things, too, that we mentioned earlier in the program, Facebook is losing audiences. You don't read anywhere where Google is losing audiences. I think we have to still keep in mind that search engines are a little less offensive as a technology platform than Facebook is. Yeah, I mean, I think we're willing to accept what it is that they do. You know, we, we view it as a utility. And that can be a whole other podcast unto itself. Is Google really a utility? All right, so today we're going to do something a little bit different. Typically, this is the part in the show where uh, Chris or I, either one, interview an expert in the field. So since clearly Chris and I are experts in the field of Facebook advertising, (laughs) I don't know. We're probably not. In any case, we thought uh, we'd do something a little bit different today. Because of Mm -hmm. the unwavering support of all of our uh, loyal listeners, we have actually launched an entirely new show called That's What They Said. And it's a show on reputation management, uh, transparency, and all those kinds of fun topics. And it's in conjunction and sponsored exclusively by one of our uh, wonderful sponsors, Binary Fountain. So the first episode Mm -hmm. of That's What They Said has just been released. You can find it over on touchpoint.health. And we thought today what we would do is maybe intro that a little bit and play a little excerpt from the uh, episode one uh, right here on this podcast. So again, entirely different show, entirely different podcast for you to subscribe to. Uh, We think it'll probably come out uh, about six times this year. And so we'll be sure to mention that here to alert you to that. But the easiest way for you to keep up with it is to uh, subscribe uh, via iTunes. Welcome to That's What They Said, a podcast discussing the current trends of online transparency and how they impact physicians, hospitals, and health systems. This podcast is brought to you exclusively by Binary Fountain. Their patient experience platform is used by over 2,800 healthcare facilities globally, providing them with deep, timely insights and the tools they need to engage patients, improve operations, and impact revenue. So we are your hosts, Chris Boyer and Reed Smith. Talking about transparency, online transparency, the never-evolving and even more transparent, can you say that, even more transparent subject as time goes. <laughs> We're going to walk through today a little bit about online ratings and reviews, the power of those things, mm-hmm. and maybe how to get started or move down that path if that is something your organization is looking at. You know what's interesting, Reed? If you look at the marketplace of online transparency, we were just recently at a healthcare internet conference 
And there's only still a small handful of organizations that are actually doing this in a very proactive way, which is surprising to me because right now there are 30 million healthcare consumers that are out there searching for a physician online every month. I think a key piece there that you mentioned was kind of a systematic approach. So we're not saying people are not seeing and maybe even responding to Facebook comments, for example. You know, they're, they're administrators on a Facebook page. Somebody writes a review, et cetera. They respond. And so what we're really talking about is, number one, you want to monitor, measure, and make sure everything out there about you is correct. But then ultimately, how do you look at not just a few semi-owned sites or shared mm-hmm. sites like Facebook or something like that, but you know, what about the other healthcare-specific ones, health grades, vitals, even things like Doximity, where they're taking your information, publishing it on the internet. Is it correct? Can people write reviews about you? Things like Angie's List or Yelp and some of those that are not healthcare-specific, mm-hmm. and it becomes quite a process. When you think about it, there are so many online ratings and review sites right now in the marketplace, and those that are dedicated to hospitals and physicians are just extremely numerous. I would say a couple dozen of them that are out there. And when organizations are Mm -hmm. systematically looking at building these transparency initiatives, it becomes a bit of a challenge for them to do so. Not to mention that they themselves are also collecting data through like their CCAPs or their HCAP scores, depending on where they're getting that data. There's so much data out there. How do you systematically look at it in a way that can actually help you be successful and meet some of the goals that we're trying to meet? You've got the sites out there, like we've mentioned, where people are writing reviews on their own. Nobody's prompting them to do it. Mm-hmm. So Facebook, Yelp, etc. But then you do have the ones that we are asking people to answer, HCAPs type surveys and mm-hmm. things like that. And maybe even some other surveying within the organization. Pulling that all together, moving down a path that's going to let people find what they need to find. So we've gotten buy-in. We've gotten enough feedback from folks. We have enough nominal experience online that we get people on board. So now what do we do? I would say the next step really is putting in that process for how this works within the organization, right? So how are you going to find out that there's a review? What's the review process? What does that look like? But ultimately having somebody that's in charge of this whole thing. Centralizing it and making sure that you're communicating on a regular basis with people that are impacted by this. So there's a there's definitely a process around this. It's not something that you could just turn around and do and just have your social media manager suddenly be the transparency person, <laughs> right? You right. have to build a consensus. You have to develop a, a structured way, a model to really start to communicate the reviews that you're getting. So you got your internal reviews and then you got your external reviews. And then you have to figure out exactly, well, how are those reviews? Are you going to vet those? What are the triggers in order to publish a review or to maybe not publish a review? There's a whole workflow around approvals. The workflow and the approval process, and just kind of as an aside here, some of these things, half the battle is the turnaround time. So as much of that as you can figure out beforehand, before the review's ever written, the better off you're going to be. So if you can go in and have people agree with you that, okay, A, we can't say a lot online because of privacy, and B, we need to be timely with this, and C, we want people to connect with this person 
in our organization, then you can script out or at least have some basic guidelines of how you want to respond to these issues. And then who ultimately is going to own that within the organization? Is that the risk manager? Is that a patient liaison? Is there somebody, you know, in patient experience that that is going to actually be the point of contact? And that allows you the ownership and be able to drive these things much quicker and get these things to resolution much quicker. And then ultimately create more trust because of the timeliness in which you're participating in these communities. As with any technology initiative, when done right, a lot of it is in the planning and the processes that are built before it actually goes live. So many of the organizations, and we'll hear this from Unity Point, they take time to make sure that the process is effective. So how are we going to publish? What are we going to publish? How does an appeal occur if something's not published the right way? There's a lot to it that you don't doesn't even see the light of the day before it is actually turned on. I think that's a lot of great stuff. There's a lot more we could obviously talk about. We had a chance to visit with the folks from UniPoint Health at the Healthcare Internet Conference. Let's hear a little bit from them about their journey, and then we'll be back. Here we are with Unity Point, and so why don't you guys introduce yourselves and kind of what your role is with the organization. So I am Casey Duffy. I'm the Regional Marketing Director for Unity Point Health in the Peoria and the Quad Cities. And I'm Blake Long, and I'm the Regional Marketing Manager for the Peoria region. Tell us a little bit about online reputation management, why it's important to your organization, and what kind of brought you to start working with Binary Fountain. I think the online reputation for us was huge because there's so much that's happening on the internet, whether we're a part of it or not a part of it. And so when you're looking at reviews and you're trying to look at, make a decision on a doctor and there's four people who have reviewed them and it's usually four very unhappy people, (laughs) we had to find a way to balance that with how do we start to really own that? And that led into the relationship with Binary Fountain. And we started working with Binary Fountain. We launched our reviews in 2015, so it was kind of really early in the process. I think the other thing for us was that the op site was really looking for a way to improve patient experience. So we were able to say there's a reason to do this for consumers, but there's also a reason to do this to improve our patient experience scores. And that's one of the best data points we've taken away from it is that you can see after we launch reviews, CG cap scores just go right up. Were they involved with you early on in that decision? Yeah. Yeah, oh, really? they were. We took this to them and we took it really as a way to help them along that patient experience journey. We talked to a number of hospitals, obviously, and whether it's this technology or any other, trying to sell that idea into the C-suite. It's typically a tripping point of some some degree. How did y'all prepare for that? What was that conversation like? There was a whole lot of education from the get-go. I think a lot of physicians and a lot of executives just didn't realize what's out there online about them, about the providers. Mm-hmm. And then they also didn't realize that if it's on a third-party site, there's not really anything we can do about it necessarily. So I think the moment where where we really had a turning point was a physician retreat with providers and executives, and we started just showing them up on slides. Here's things people are saying about you. And then you could see everybody started taking out their phone and Googling themselves. Yeah, and I think, too, we were lucky that we approached our, we have two VPs of clinics, and we sat down with them one day, and the conversation really was, we want to do this, this is what we think it will do, and the answer was, all right. Well, it's always good to hear how organizations are actually embracing transparency. And I think Unity Point Health is a great example of that, Reed. Their journey was really interesting. I was glad that they shared that with us. You know, let's not get caught in the idea that we have to have all the answers before starting down this path as well. So...
Chris, good news. The healthcare industry now has its own domain name. What? Absolutely. Everybody knows that organizations have .org, education has .edu. Well, now .health is available and quickly becoming the home for all health-related content online. And listeners to our podcast can visit git.health slash touchpoint. Visit git.health slash touchpoint now. I hope you all enjoyed that excerpt from That's What They Said. It's really going to be an informative podcast, and uh, although it features you know the, the same voices of you and me, Reed, there's a lot of different content, a lot of different ground we're going to cover. We're going to talk to people that are actually in the trenches. Definitely worth subscribing. Go out to our website, touchpoint.health, to find out and listen to the first episode. But we really encourage you to go over to um, iTunes and find That's What They Said and subscribe to it. We are now near the end of the show. Uh, Is there anything in the near future that you want to talk about? Any kind of events? or? I will actually be speaking uh, April the 12th uh, at the Hospital Association of Pennsylvania. They are having a a one-day event for communication leaders up in that area, uh, primarily their members, I would assume. And so we'll post a link to that. I'll have a little bit more about that as we get a little bit closer. But uh, doing some of the same stuff, we're pulling down, um, you know, rating and review data and in perception data for the uh, state of Pennsylvania, and I'll be uh, presenting that there. You and I are going to be at the 23rd Healthcare Marketing and Physician yes. Strategies Summit, the yes. forum for healthcare strategists. That's on April 30th through the through May 2nd. We're going to be doing a session on podcasting. We're going to feature healthcare podcasters, people that are podcasting in hospitals. Uh, we'll probably also turn that into a podcast, like like we said before. That's a very meta way to. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun. Salt Lake City, that'll be a great, great venue and looks to be a lot of great uh, people on the agenda. So if you haven't, surf over to their website. Recommendations. What do you got? Well, today I'm going to recommend something that's not necessarily a brand name, but something that I really, uh, I really enjoy every so often on a, a maybe a weekend day in the middle of the day, maybe uh, on an evening in the, at night throughout the week, something nice, cool beverage. Kombucha tea. Mm-hmm. Have you had kombucha tea before, Reed? I don't think I have. Okay, kombucha tea is a fermented drink. It's like a tea, and it has uh, sometimes flavored with with juices, or sometimes flavored with fruits. Sometimes it's just you know just flavored with turmeric or or other things. But it, you could get it at Whole Foods. You could get it at multiple different health stores, and, and you can actually get it at Target now. It's proposed to be helping prevent and manage serious health conditions, and you know it maybe helps with digestion. They say that it has such as it's an active culture within the tea that it actually can help your stomach. I don't know, but um, kombucha tea is something that I have been drinking for a number of years now, and I just find that every so often a really nice cool kombucha tea. It just really hits the spot and makes your tummy feel good. There you go. So are you going to try one? Sure. I don't know that we have those here. I'll have to check and see. They go really good with french fries. I, I mean, we didn't even get into fried pickles. And so um, that's you know, another, another topic for another time. Um, I'm going to go with... Um, I, I've recommended a number of guitar-related... I think I've actually... Recommended a guitar. Anyway, I'm going to actually go with uh, a guitar pick. 
And, and the ones I really like are the Dunlop brand Tordix. And it has like a little picture of a turtle on the pick. You've probably seen them. They come in like bright colors. The colors relate to the actual uh, thickness of the pick. And so like, you know, the red is the uh, 0.5 millimeter up to, you know, you can get like a green one is 0.88, blues 1.0, etc. They're great. Acoustic, electric, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's my guitar pick of choice. Hey, little known fact, our good friend Dan Dunlop is related to the Dunlop family that makes those picks. No way. <laughs> I'm going to talk to him about that. I don't know if that's true. It should so, be. It should be. As far as anybody, as far as anybody knows, it is. We're just going to go with that. If you're listening this far, let's start spreading the word that Dan Dunlop, his family comes from the famous Dunlop picks. So... Yeah, absolutely. Love it. I mean, they are made in the U.S., so there you go. As far as you know, Dan Donlop makes every one of these and, and mails them to your house. So. Well, that was a great episode, Reed. Um, we're really going to encourage people to go out to iTunes to rate and review us. Give us a little love out there on iTunes. And not only do it for our show, for Touchpoint Podcast, but while you're at it, try listening to our new show, That's What They Said, and give that a listen. And if you feel inclined, give it a, a positive rating and a good review as well. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and uh, appreciate the support, and we'll see you next week. 